Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of restaurantowner.com. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster with RestaurantOwner.com. And today we'd like to introduce you to a very special guest. LJ Rodas is the president CEO of Dallas-based Pollo Campero. This is a Guatemalan-based concept. Some of you may be familiar with it. We're going to hear all the story about the chicken, the concept, and their growth plan. LJ, welcome to Corner Booth. Thank you. It's an honor. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. Thanks for the invite. LJ, we want to hear all about you personally, but could you introduce our guests to your concept, Pollo Campero? I know pollo means chicken. Campero, my understanding, but correct me if I'm wrong, means out in the open, rural. Am I getting it? Is that Does that tell you anything about your story? Yeah, Give us some background. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a word that means coming from 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 the country mm-hmm. so it could be country chicken but we call it pollo campero and actually no one in spanish thinks about that it's already it's already like a a, a a name that no one is trying to translate right so but yeah if you try to explain it's uh, chicken from the country or something like that so tell us about the concept the menu how many units you have the history let us know a little bit more about this restaurant concept. Excellent. So, Pollo Campero was born in Guatemala, in Central America, in nineteen in April 1971. A huge success since day one. So, 10 months after the first opening in Guatemala, it was decided in February 1972 to open the first store in El Salvador. And we started the, the growth plans in both countries. Huge success in Guatemala and El Salvador. Now we do uh, some other countries with corporate or franchise stores. But it has been very interesting because the brand is leader of the category of the industry in both countries, beating everyone. Uh, All the restaurant brands that you could think of are also in Guatemala and and in El Salvador, but uh, it's, it's Campero the leader. So since 1971, we started to grow. And until 2002, what happened was that, as you know, uh, here in this country, in the US, we have lots of immigrants, especially from from many countries, but a lot from Guatemala and El Salvador. So it was in 2002 when we decided, what if we do some franchise stores? We don't want to operate at that moment yet. We don't want to have corporate stores, but what if we do franchise stores following uh, what we call our legacy consumers? So in other words, people that were already familiar with the brand, that knew what Campero was about, we find where the communities are and we put a Campero around them and just to bring a little piece of Guatemala closer to them. We were expecting something good, but not as good as it happened. So even today, if you Google how the first opening was in 2000, April 2002 in Olympic Olympic Avenue in in California, it was a huge success. Long lines, 
very long lines, blocks, lines, thousands of people standing in line waiting for us to open. The media was there because, not, not because we invited them, just because they were talking, okay, what's going on here? Why is so, this place so crowded? Yeah. And we understood that the opportunity was huge. It was a franchise store, and together with the franchisee, we started to grow, and then we started to do some other franchise deals for, for, for the U.S. So I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to continue the conversation about the U.S., but maybe something else is that we have a parent company. Uh, the name of the parent company uh, is Corporación Multinversiones. It would mean in English, Multi-Investment Corporation, and it goes by the by the... We usually call them CMI, Corporation Multinvestment, Corporation Multinversiones, CMI. It's our parent company. It's one of the largest in Latin America. If we take uh, Mexico and, and Brazil out of the equation, it's the largest one. If we include Mexico and Brazil, for sure we are in the top five. So it's huge. We do different, different categories of of uh, different uh, business units and we compete in different categories in many industries. And the restaurants is one of the business units uh, across everything that we do in CMI. Okay, so let's do that. Let, yeah, let's stop a little bit on the corporate, but we're really going to want to hear after that first chicken, tremendous opening in California, how it went. But just to continue on Barry's original point of background, I know from being there, but many of our listeners may not have been there, the difference of the chicken. Because this, although this is quick serve, I know most of the units have drive-throughs. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, but this is not an American fried chicken. This this is a different preparation. Uh, you and and you serve uh, yucca or yucca fries, and yes. so maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the concept and the cooking, the menu items, how it's different, and that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, we, we are very famous, especially for our uh, fried chicken, the chicken on the bone. Uh, the, the founder of Campero uh, developed the, the, uh, all the seasoning and the breading. So it's very unique, the seasoning and the breading for the chicken. Um, uh, 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 and yes, it's, it's quite different So from the process. So we never use frozen chicken. Uh, the flavor of the chicken is always injected in every single piece. Uh, we do the breading manually in every single store. We have a process where we do some time of maduration of the chicken before we fry it. And then what we get as a result is a very tender, very juicy, very flavorful chicken. And what is amazing is that I have been with this company, with this beautiful brand, 23 years. I have never, and, and, and I'm not saying this because I am the CEO or I am, I am the head of the company. I'm saying this because it's true. In my 23 years career, I have never heard anyone yet when, who I tell, try the chicken. And, and, and that person telling me, you don't know what, I didn't like. So it's very unique. It's very special. Our challenge is to bring Campero closer to the consumer so they have the opportunity to try it. But it's very unique. But then also everything that we sell around the chicken is very unique. You already mentioned, for example, the yuca fries. We have our unique recipe of, of, of beans, rice. Uh, our coleslaw is very unique as well. Um, then we do 
our Campero nuggets. Uh, that's something that people really like because it's the same kind of flavor that you get in the chicken on the bone in, in small pieces of, of breast. That's a very good product. And we launched also two years ago uh, sandwiches. And we were trying to compete in that category, which is very challenging, but we are doing it very good because what we did is, again, we're using the same flavor. So we're not inventing different flavors for different things. So it's the flavor that made us uh, famous. We're using that for the Campero Nuggets and for the sandwiches. We have uh, our traditional sandwich and our spicy sandwich. And people that are experimenting with the brand for the first time really are liking it, especially the Campero Nuggets. The sandwiches, we also have a uh, Campero uh, chicken on the bone, which is grilled. Uh, and that's something that it's growing every week. Uh, it's loved by everyone, but especially for the Mexicans. It's a great product. It's fantastic. It's also uh, freshly made. Yeah. Um, we have some desserts. and So it's a very complete uh, menu. Uh, then our, our service model, it's a little bit different because the way it works is you go to the counter, you order, but then you go to the table. And from there on, we take care of you. So it's not quite fast food where you wait for your food and then you take uh, the food with you. No, you 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 take your seat. You take your seat and we bring the food to you. And then, if you need or you want to ask for something else, you don't need to come back. So uh, we we will take care of you uh, from your table. And as you mentioned, yes, uh, most of our restaurants are uh, freestanding with drive through. We do very good with drive-thru. Uh, we are not in the in the loop of how fast we are yet because we still have a we, we still are small here. But once we start to grow and and uh, among the category, they start to see how how fast we are in our drive-thru. Uh, people is going to be talking about that because our average time is below two minutes. We have been improving that a lot, and we are doing amazing in the drive-thru as well. And we do delivery and, of course, takeout. We do, we do catering. Catering is a category that is growing a lot, especially now that we open uh, two stores in Manhattan and we have quite a few more uh, under construction. Uh, catering is a huge business for us in Manhattan, so that's another category where we're competing. So, um, LJ, um, and, and, and stop me if I'm asking too many questions at once, but... Um, Tell us about where your where your units are located, the number of units, and if you give us some insight into your growth trajectory in number of units since you opened your first uh, uh, store in the United States. Okay, I'm going to try to tell the story in a sequence. So after we opened our first uh, store in two thousand was until two thousand and seven, so five years after the first opening, where we said. This is a huge business. This is a huge opportunity. Let's also do corporate stores. So it was in 2007 when we decided let's open our headquarters, let's be based in Dallas, let's invest in corporate units, let's start to grow so we can accelerate. Uh, CMI has the, the resources, not only the financial resources, but also the human resources from a capability standpoint as well to accelerate the growth. 
Because if not, we were very depending on the growth that the franchises were willing to put. So we decided to accelerate. So in 2007, our growth started. Uh, we started to open restaurants. Uh, of course, we started to sell more franchises. In some cases, we started to acquire some franchises. And since then, we have been growing. Today, we have, well, actually, mid-February, we are going, to, it's under construction already. We are going to celebrate our store number 100. It's going to be in Florida, in, in Miami Gardens in Florida. Uh, so let's say we have already 100 stores. It's very close to be open. Uh, most of our stores, I would say we have a couple of huge markets for us. So probably the biggest one so far is California. California is a uh, Los Angeles uh, area, Orange County. We have one store in, in San Francisco, more are uh, coming. Actually, we are very close, weeks ahead from opening one store in Fisherman's Wharf. But so California is one of the biggest. Then the, the, the second one is DC, MDA. No, it's uh, yeah, the DC plus Maryland. So that's the second, the second one where we have a uh, uh, the uh, most uh, amount of stores. Then uh, I would say it's New York plus New Jersey. And then the fourth one is Houston. So with those four areas, I would say we have the 80% of the restaurants. Then we, already, we also have a couple in Florida. We have here in Dallas. We have a couple in Boston. Uh, we have franchises in Oklahoma, we have stores in Atlanta, we have in North and South Carolina, one store in Minneapolis, in, in Minnesota. Okay. Um, so so you have markets. spread out more than I thought. Okay, no, that really helps the picture. Good for you. No, I, I was assuming, and I guess this, this was just because, you know, I've seen them, you know, throughout California, Texas. I was guessing this was a little bit more of a Southwest, but no. Maryland being so big, New York, New Jersey, Georgia, this is fantastic growth. Uh, how do you uh, take a look at the percentage of these units as far as corporate and franchises? Is it about half and half? Or are you a lot more corporate? Not yeah, half and half, not yet. That's our vision for the mid, mid long term. Right now, it's more around 80 percent corporate, twenty percent uh, franchise. We were quicker uh, uh, at the growing pace, but we are doing very good uh, with uh, franchise stores now. For example, we just signed an NDA for for uh, New Orleans. So stores are in the process. We just sold uh, a good part of Arizona, Phoenix. Um, so that's another market that's going to be developed. So in, in the midterm, our goal should be maybe not 50-50, but at least 60-40, meaning 60 corporate, 40 franchise stores, something like that. LJ, when you explain your menu, and I've, I've done a little reading about your menu, and, and then you talk about it, it, it it's very compelling. It, it's something that uh, um, seems very different and unique. But we have a lot of uh, listeners who are restaurateurs and always think about how they can be more competitive. What, what have you learned in terms of differentiating yourself to someone who's maybe not familiar with your brand in a in a market where chicken is just very competitive. We, we know that. 
I mean, there we, we've got so many uh, concepts where chicken is either the main product or a significant part of the menu. What what have you done? What do you do to stand out so that I know this is not Chick Fil A. I know this is not uh, some other uh, concept that has chicken. Yeah, and that's exactly what we didn't do. We stick to our roots. So we didn't want to be ourselves another Chick-fil-A. They are amazing. Another Canes, they do really good. But we wanted to be unique. We are very good at what we do. We knew we had a great product. We, do, we did lots of tests before starting all the growing process. And what we decided was, okay, let's be us. Let's be proud of what we are. Let's tell the people where we are coming from. Let's share our, our story. Uh, let's explain why we are here, why we have been successful. Actually, in every restaurant, we have what we call the Campero model, and what we have there is our story. Where are we coming from? When was the first restaurant built? Uh, what is our brand about? Because we want to be what we are ourselves. We don't want to pretend to be anyone else. And I think that has been very successful because that has made us very unique. Um, of course, we have done some tweaks to the menu to make it even more, um, to, 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 to make it more connected to what people are expecting here. Um, but in essence, the, 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 the core of the menu is the same menu that you find everywhere. So we, we feel proud about that and we don't want to be someone else. So we have been unique and we have been ourselves and we have been feeling proud about that. And has it translated well? Um, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning that the name was very well recognized. California was very, very busy, but there was a core customer, the south of the border, Central American immigrant who obviously you know, uh, readily identified with the concept. But now, as you've explained, with so many states and many suburban locations, your customer profile must have, must have grown tremendously from the initial base. Exactly. Has the style of cooking and the items that you sell translated well with your customer profile that's grown? Yeah, very well. And we haven't changed anything. So we have been very stick to what we have been doing that was our, one of our main questions as well. Okay, how is going to be this translated to new consumers? But the best example I can give you right now is Manhattan. Yeah. So in Manhattan, we have a store in Heller Square, right on Lexington Avenue in front, in front of the Macy's store. And since we have such a great location, the, the, the restaurant has the stopping power to make people come in and they love it. They love it. And they, that's not a, our legacy consumer. That's the most crossover store that we could have. You know, Barry, this might go to the point that you make, you know, from time to time that we are noticing a tremendous shift in the American consumer. You know, as we get more food knowledgeable, our demands are changing. Obviously, chicken is popular. Fried chicken is something most people are raised with. However, as we're getting more food knowledgeable, people are kind of pushing the boundaries. They're looking for something new, looking something for what's next. Yeah, I mean, and, and that did occur to me in another part of it. And I was actually going to ask you, you've been consulting businesses for a long time. And something that 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 
that I've believed and LJ just articulated it perfectly is I do believe the narrative is critical in branding the story. People like a good story and they can sniff out authenticity very quickly. So you have a good authentic narrative about who you are. My belief and hope maybe you've seen that in your, in your career that really can resonate with, with guests. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I think, I think what we're hearing here, and I hope the listeners are making note of this too, that, that you can stick with a core item that you know uh, is well accepted, but then you have to present it in a unique uh, way that describes your point of difference. So everyone needs to think about that with their concept, because what Poyo Compara does so well is they're taking a Central American twist to chicken, which means don't expect to go in and get the regular coleslaw or regular mac and cheese. You're going to right. get fries. You're going to get rice and beans that are a Central American twist. And I see, and I think that's wonderful. We're seeing a lot of that happen, Barry, with uh, Asian and other uh, ethnic offerings. So why not with something as mainstream as chicken? So LJ, as I'm thinking about this and the question, I ha- next question I have for you, and I'm just trying to put myself in, in your place. If I have this concept that has this authenticity is based on this certain pride, um, I'm going to be very, very careful who I allow to step into the role of franchisee in my business. Is your franchisee selection particular in some way that makes sure that your story is being told the way you want it told um, among the people who are operating your franchises? You perfectly hit the nail. That's exactly right. We are very picky with that. Uh, and we do lots of research. We, we get, and I, I want to be humble saying this, lots of requests, more than we were expecting. That's something make, that makes us very proud how many people are getting more and more interesting in having a, a Campero store, but it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we with the basics, uh, there are some basics that we request, like having uh, uh, some experience in the industry, but then you also need to understand the passion that we have behind, the passion for service. We always say that we are in the service industry. That's what we tell our people. We are not in the food uh, industry. The food is the excuse that we have in order to deliver good service. So we have to get uh, franchises that are very connected with that and that can show us that they think the same way. Because if it's going to be just another kitchen producing food and taking it out for everyone, that's not enough. That's not enough. It has to be a very good quality service behind of that, following the culture that we have been trying to build. And if we see and we can um, get that that connection is there, we sign a franchise deal that, with that. It, it doesn't matter if it's a, 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 I don't know, a partner that can do only three stores or a hundred stores. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the passion and for the connection with the brand. How much of that success is based on selection versus training? Is it 50-50 or if you get the right person or the right people in place, everything else sort of follows? Or it, do you, even with bringing the right person in place, is there 
a lot of, I'll call it onboarding for lack of better term. If you write the, the if you uh, choose, if you pick the right franchisee, the training is very to the specifics. The problem is that if you make a mistake and you bring on board something, someone that doesn't have any experience with the restaurant industry, it's very complicated because you then need to spend even more time on training the basics versus training the specifics. Mm-hmm. So in our experience, if, that, if, if it's a group or a person or an investor that has some experience in restaurants, the training goes around the brand how to do our products, how um, our layout looks like, how to staff the store, where to put the stations, and so on and so on. But it's very unique to Campero and not not to the industry, right? Yeah. Can we let's shift for a few minutes to a couple questions that I've got on my list that have to do with. Uh, challenges that everyone is facing in the industry. And maybe you could explain to us, you know, how you see them and what your short-term plans are to overcome them, especially since you have such a tremendous amount of exposure in California. Everyone is concerned with costs rising for operations, costs rising with product, costs rising from labor. Um, How do you see uh, reacting to that as minimum wage signed into law yesterday? in California that is what, five years away from being $20 an hour. How are you and your ops people taking a hard look at efficiencies? How do you take a look at maybe technology to help support maybe less in labor? Or how do you just see operationally, you know, succeeding as product and labor costs continue to get worse? Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge for everyone. Uh, Operational excellence, is the name of the game, and that's something we have a department for that, looking for uh, opportunities, savings, better way of doing things, how to staff in a better way the store. So that's something we do permanently, every day. So we, we run the back of the house as a crisis, always. Even when we are not in a crisis mode, for us, it's always that mindset to to look for opportunities all the time. But we also have an internal policy and it's that we are never going to save money in things that the customer can see or touch. So for example, if we need to, I don't know, if, if, if our customers, they love the yucca fry, but someone can offer us a different quality of yucca fry and just to say we're going to change knowing that the customers who knows if they were, are going to like, that's not a, even a conversation we will have. So usually the opportunities that we're looking all the time are in the back of the house. Of course, it's very challenging. It's, we, we, we have not been able to sustain the same margins that we used to have before the pandemic. We still have a very healthy business we have been doing amazing. Um, it's impossible just to transfer all the impacts through price increases to the customers. And that's not fair either. So of course there have been impacts to the, to the PNL, but still a very healthy business. And at the end of the day is to try to find uh, opportunities all the time. Sometimes we find opportunities that are huge. Some other times are minimum, but if you put together all the pennies that you can save here and there, well, that's at the end of the day, the, the to-do 
yeah. for the everyday, especially in the in the quick service restaurant industry where the margins are very low and they're very tight. Challenging well, more. We and are then, still analyzing the impact from the 20 uh, hour that was approved yesterday for California. Of course, we were expecting that it was going to be a huge impact, but this is truly a big, big impact for, for everyone. And the other thing too, in addition to what you're talking about, and I think all the listeners are gonna stay in the short term challenged by that, the constant looking for efficiency, the use of technology to help with uh, labor, but all along keeping your eye on the product because you can't sacrifice just because costs are increasing. I think those are excellent principles. Now from the development side though, since you've been doing such a tremendous amount of expansion, how have you seen the cost of your units? Uh, increase uh, that you know we're hearing that it's almost cost prohibitive right now to build with yeah. construction being behind uh, their labor high um, and materials on the wait list and things like concrete and mechanical materials and steel even the electrical boxes I mean I was told the other day that uh, somebody in the development department of their restaurant group was saying that 40 to 50 percent cost increases are just average right now so how do you handle your continued growth if the cost to open is going to get that much more expensive? Yeah, and that's completely right. I would also agree with that 40 to 50%. 40% was the number I was going to mention. Um, we reaccommodated the whole model. And when we did our strategic plan, we were already using those numbers. We still are getting very good and healthy uh, internal rates of return, of course, not as high as they used to be three, four years ago. Still, it's a good business, but you need to accommodate. At the end of the day, it's either that or not to grow. Yeah. Um, we know we are facing it. We know what the challenges are now. We need to accept that, uh, but we're in the process. We already have um, close to 80 sign leases. Um, we have like another hundred uh, under the analysis. Um, we have, as we speak, probably 20 restaurants under construction. And we know that this is going to be an impact. But every single restaurant that we have been opening since 2022, I would say the last 18 months, since the locations have been so good, they are doing amazing. So at the end of the day, if the location is the right one, if we stick to our roots, if we deliver quality products through a very good service, at the end of the day, it's going to it's going to give the returns that are expected. And yes, high high amounts to 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 be invested, uh, but it's the current reality. That at the same time is opening opportunities for amazing locations yeah. that probably if the costs were not so high, everyone were getting and would be difficult to get. So we are getting very, very, very good locations uh, because now, even though you still see some growth, it's not going as quick as, as it used to be, right? Yes. So LJ, um... Tell us a little about yourself. You're CEO of this this uh, 
growing franchise, successful. Um, what's your what's your background? Um, restaurant business. Um, I'm sure there's a, a good story here for you to now be leading this uh, organization. Yeah, I, I, my my soul is. I'm an entrepreneur. I love that. I have been with CMI with a Campero parent company for almost 24 years. So I started back in Guatemala in, in July 2000, uh, 2000 uh, in marketing for for Campero, for Coyo Campero. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with uh, a, a mark, the marketing department for almost uh, seven years. I started as a brand manager and then I was the head of marketing for Campero in Guatemala. Uh, from there, I completely switched my, I have I, I have an MBA in marketing and another one in finance. So finance is always my love. So in 2007, I was offered an opportunity in the finance department for Campero as the uh, business intelligence director for the whole business unit. So I, I, I was transferred from marketing to finance. I love that area. That was an area where I learned a lot, opened lots of doors. And I was running that department of business intelligence for five years, more or less. And in 2012, uh, I was promoted to the senior vice president of finance for the restaurant business unit in Guatemala. So I was overseeing all the finance area. Uh, business intelligence uh, was one of my departments, but I was in charge of everything that has to do with finance. Uh, we implemented lots of projects and we uh, brought some efficiencies and implemented many t- technology in Central America. So in 2016, I was asked, hey, why don't you go to Dallas for three years as a CFO? just to do exactly what you have done here in Central America for the last three, four years. And I said, okay, sounds like fun. Let me talk to my family. And the family agreed. Let's go to Dallas. Sounds good. My daughters were young back then, so it was a good age for them. They, they were 11 and 9, so it was a good age still to to come over. And we said, okay, that sounds like fun, and it's only going to be three years, so three years it's a short period of time, let's do it. Yeah. What, what I didn't oversee was that uh, eight, nine months after that, uh, the former um, CEO was going to leave the company. So we didn't have a CEO. I was not named yet, but I was asked just to hey, help us run the business while we decide uh, what to do. That happened in 2017. Of course, for me internally in my mind was a huge opportunity because I said, who knows, and maybe I'm lucky enough and they can name me. So to, uh, to, to, together with my boss and I put together a team, we decided to put a plan together uh, and we started to work on it. Um, it uh, we, we had some good, good results in what we were expecting. So late 2017 or early 2018, more or less, I was named the, the, the CEO, the head of the company for, for Campero in the U.S. And since then, since early 2018, so a little bit over five years, I have been 
I have had the honor of running this business. Uh, of course, as you can see, we have been here already seven years, so the three-year uh, original expectation didn't happen, but we are very happy to be here. We love this country. We love this culture. I, love, I live in Dallas, Texas, so it's an amazing city. Uh, and here we are, and now the challenge is to grow. All my focus, if you ask me, what do you do? Most of your time is everything that has to to withdraw. This morning I was in Fort Worth uh, checking for some sites. I approved one site. So Campero is coming to Fort Worth as well next year. So that's that's what I do. So um, we don't get the opportunity to talk to someone who is the CEO of a, of a large and growing um uh, casual concept. We talk to a lot of independent operators because that seems to be the focus of our our media. But what I'm getting at is that, uh, of course, we have to you know tell a lot of operators who are in the startup stage, hey, you need to work on the business, not just in the business. With you, I don't think there's any question you work on the business. But one of the things that we find with successful independent operators um, is that they not only work on the business, but they're 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 Inside the businesses, they're talking to customers, they're touching tables. That's a lot easier said when you have one, two, three, or four units. But for somebody in your position um, and even advising other people who want to grow to your size, I mean, as CEO, are, are you in the stores? Are you talking to customers? Are you tasting food? Is that even possible when you've got almost 100 units? I know every single unit. I have been in every single unit couple of times. That's what I do. I travel every week, every week. For example, last week I was in Houston. We were celebrating the results with uh, with the, um, the GMs, the store managers and the area managers in, in, in Houston. Uh, next, next week I'm going to be in Manhattan. Every time that I go to every restaurant, the first thing I do is to say hi to the people and to try the, the food everywhere and they are always expecting like was the food good and it's always good so I, it's a surprise for me like they are expecting yeah. like my thumbs up when they already know that it's always amazing but yes i i really enjoy to be to be at the restaurants we have twice a year what we call our service day and that's something that everyone in the company does including myself of course so that day i have the opportunity to pick one store Anywhere, the, any store that I like. For example, the last one I did was in Calle Ocho in Miami. So I go, I spend the whole day with the team uh, doing service just as anyone else. Spend some time frying chicken, some time in the, in the cashier, some time in the drive-thru, some time talking to people. For me, my position is a great moment to find opportunities, to get insights and to get connected to the consumers and to see what they are saying and what the opportunities are. For the rest of the team, it's also a good moment to, to be empathic on how hard the job is at the restaurant level. Uh, at the restaurants is where the action happens. They are the ones that are bringing the money to the company. And we truly need to understand what is going on there to support them in a better way so yes, for me being on the restaurants is, I mean, here in an, in an, in an office, I don't feel that I'm adding value. Um, and, and on top of that, I love it. I love it because every day is different. 
Do you learn things from your frontline employees or frontline workers in the restaurants that inform you as a CEO for maybe bigger strategic issues or bigger decisions? Um, does that happen very often? All the time, all the time. From minor things, like for example, hey, what if we change this position where the POS system to this other place or stuff like that, but also to major things regarding products, processes. Um, we, we have a good um, flow on how to communicate ideas. We also have contests to promote the, the, the good ideas. Uh, and we are very connected. We are still a relatively small team uh, and we try to be very close to the to all the staff at the restaurant level for they to feel confident about sharing ideas and, and, and sharing also what they are seeing or hearing from the customers. And I love it when they say or they have ideas because for me that means that they have passion for what they are doing. It's not just another day at the, at the restaurant, right? Chris, if I may underscore that because it's such a hugely important comment, yeah. you know, here he, here's C-level officer for 100, almost 100 unit um, uh, concept who's taking time to talk to people who are on the line cooking chicken, serving guests to learn about how the business yeah. works. If you got one or two or three units and you're not talking to your food runners and your expediters and your cooks and your servers, um, you may be missing out on a great opportunity to learn about what's right and what could be improved, if I'm hearing you correctly. Oh, oh you know what, you're Barry, you're right. And absolutely, everyone that's listening needs to know that, that sometimes the, the, the best information executives get come from the people who do the doing. Uh, we've, you know, we've heard this from other guests too. They say they, they have to stay in the stores because um, the closer they are to the customer, the smarter they become. If you act, you see the guest, listen to the guest, what's being ordered, how long they're staying there, the sizes of the group. This reminds me of long ago when we had on uh, Doug Brooks, who at that time, you know, had retired from his large board position and running um, Brinker. Uh, but I remember him saying that when, you know, when he traveled, uh, he would want to get there the day before the meeting. And the reason was so that he could go into one or two units and, and people might not always recognize him, but he could mingle and he could watch the guests and he could be treated as a customer and he could talk to the staff because sometimes that time was more valuable than the next day when he had his major meeting with the corporate people that were planned. So yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you, and there is another trick that I love to use. Uh, when we visit markets, usually they have an agenda for you, right? Okay, so we are going to go here, there, and there. Okay, fantastic. I love to change that because because it's it, and it's natural. It's human. If you know that you are going to be visited that restaurant, everyone at the restaurant is going to be get prepared, and that's fine. It's 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 human to be like that, but I I also like to say you know what we're going to change that a little bit today and we are going to go here there and there and they don't know and what I really like and I feel very proud of is that most of the times it's in, it's perfectly fine everything and that's where I really see the value because if not I could still be wondering mm, and what if they didn't know that I was coming would it be like this or not. 
So when I change plans like that is where I really see how the business is going. Well, before we wind up here, maybe you could kind of talk to a lot of the people that are listening, that are learning from what you've already done. They're wanting to do it themselves. They've got two stores, three stores. They're just now working maybe with their first steps towards growth, uh, the new investor that they're bringing in, or just setting up for franchising. What are the things that you would want to tell them to make sure they're paying attention to? Number one, be close to the business. Be close to the business all the time. The business means the restaurants, of course, also the vendors. I love, we, we do visits to our vendors every year to share the plans, to get connected, to know who is behind making the decisions. For example, our chicken vendor or our supply chain provider and so on. Uh, visit, uh, uh, we visit our franchises all the time. What are they getting? What so so be close to the business. That's that I would say it's mandatory. Mm-hmm. Number two, build a great team. I have invested lots of hours, many days and weeks, uh, inviting, trying to hire the right executive for every single position. And the team that I have right now. I have 12 re- direct reports. Well, seven are direct and other the, the rest are indirect, but most of them are, are as direct reports. And I feel very proud of every single one. So great team, which you always hear like a basic. It's very easy to say. It's very hard to get. But yeah. once, once you have the right team in place, everything else moves very, very easy and smooth. And I would say, number three, have a very easy and clear plan and then let your people execute it. And that's it. Everything else will come automatically, I would say. I love it. Great steps, don't you think, Barry? And and here we are again, ending with the people. How important is everybody mentioning? Every, Every single interview. And I'm happy to know learn that um, I'm in the Raleigh-Durham area, and on 8300 Litchford Road in Raleigh, there is a Pollo Comfero. So That's a franchise and it's, and it's not that far, so uh, no, no, no. Um, I will be eating there soon. Hopefully the rest of you listeners will be able to do the same. As we wrap up here, we want to say special thanks uh, to LJ because uh, taking your time and giving us these excellent steps to follow is very, very important. And I want to remind you listeners that if you aren't in New Jersey or New York or Maryland or California or Texas or North Carolina, don't worry because it sounds like somebody is bringing a Pollo Comparo to your market one day very, very soon. Excellent. Thank you very much. It's an honor. It has been an honor. Thanks for your time. I really Thank you, LJ. Thank you. Thank Thank you. And everybody, hope we connect really soon on another Corner Booth. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.